Buyers love two big things when they buy a business. They love a SaaS component in your company, and that could just be proprietary software. And they love the fact that you have a subscription model. So you have a reoccurring revenue coming in month over month over month over month. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Today, I'm sitting down with a past Build Your Network guest, Michelle Seiler-Tucker. Michelle is the founder and CEO of Seiler-Tucker Incorporated as a 20-year veteran in mergers and acquisitions. Michelle and her firm have sold over a thousand companies in almost every vertical that you can imagine. She also owns and operates several successful companies herself. And then she wrote a book recently called Exit Rich, which is what we talked about in the last episode a bunch. And I want to bring her back on because we are in uncertain times of the economy. And uh, there's a lot of business owners out there that are probably looking to get out of their businesses before whatever happens next is going to happen. And so I want to talk to you, Michelle, a little bit today about obviously the people that are trying to exit their business, what they can do to set it up for success, but also on the acquisition side for people that are maybe you know on uh, uh, at the beginning part of their career, early stages of their companies or businesses, and they're starting to see maybe, maybe the boomer generation that are just like, uh, you know, I'd rather not navigate this next downturn. Let me go ahead and sell now and get out and you know go uh, you know to Bermuda for a while or whatever they're going to do. You know, so I want us to talk to you a little bit about how we can make smart strategic acquisitions as a buyer to kind of you know partner up with with the companies that you have now. So Michelle, welcome to the show once again. Thanks, Travis. Thank you for having me back on. Yes, ma'am. Of course, happy to uh, happy to share your expertise because it's something that I think uh, a lot of business owners, including myself, are potentially missing out on. So before we move into some new stuff, let's cover some stuff that we uh, kind of breezed over last time um, and talk a little bit about the frameworks that you have set up for exiting your company. And then we'll move over into more of the kind of the buy side, the acquisition side. Yeah. And so, you know, let's just kind of set the stage a little bit here. The reason why it's so imperative for for business owners to really plan their exit, plan it now, you know, like Stephen Covey always says, start with the end of mind, is because 80 to 90% of businesses on the market will never sell. Steve Forbes says 80% will never sell. M&A Source says 90% won't sell. So you have less than a a 20% chance, 10 to 20% chance of selling your company. So first and foremost, you know, I like to get business owners clear with what is their plan? What do you want to do? And it's very difficult because most business owners will wake up one day, Travis, and they'll say, okay, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I can't go through another recession or these employees are driving me nuts. You know, they, they, they leave just to get a dollar more on the other side and or they're having health issues or partners disputes or divorce or, you know, something catastrophic that has happened. That's not when you sell your business. You can't maximize value during a catastrophe because your business is trending down. You need to to really think about your business and what you want and sell it when it's trending up, sell it when it's in its prime, sell when you have an Amazon. And so I always tell my business owners, get really crystal clear. You know, number one, I call it my GPS exit mode. If you want to drive somewhere, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, you plug in, what do you plug in? Your destination. An address or destination. Yeah, your address, your destination. What happens if you don't plug in a destination? Yeah, you're just driving endlessly. You're driving endlessly. So that's what happens to business owners. They're driving endlessly and they're driving a business sometimes into the ground. So it's really important to say, okay, my number is 
$10 million. Just pick a number. Everybody gets hung up on a number, Travis. It's just a number. You can change it along the way. It's not set in stone. So, you know, I've got really good, sophisticated entrepreneurs coming to me now saying, I want to sell for a billion dollars in five years. What do you worth right now? So they already know. And that's what I'm trying to get all entrepreneurs to come to grips with is, you know, stop. Business owners don't plan to fail. They fail the plan. So you really got to start planning for this. So let's say you want to sell for 10 million. The next step you need to know is the GPS needs to know, well, where are you starting from? Because it will never get you to its destination, to your destination, if it doesn't know where you're starting from. Have you ever been in like New York City or a really busy hotel, Las Vegas, and you don't plug in the specific quadrants of where you're located? They can't find you. Right. And so you need to know what your business is worth. Your business is your most valuable possession. possession. So you should always know what that business is worth. Let's say it's worth a million dollars. Well, you want to sell for 10, it's worth a million. Now you need to know, who are my buyers going to be? Well, I'll tell you who they're not going to be. First-time buyers, 95% of businesses, buyers that buy businesses are first-time buyers. They're not buying a $10 million company. They'll never, you know, in most cases, unless they win the lottery, they're not going to be able to afford your business. Number two is turnaround specialists. They don't buy $10 million businesses. So you got private equity groups who would be a good fit who buy based upon platforms and add-ons, but they won't even look at your business unless you have at least three to $7 million in EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. But if, if you're if they're in food manufacturing and you have a small food manufacturing business, maybe even as a half a million, then they'll consider you as an add-on. Then you got strategists and competitors, typically your best buyers, because they're buying synergies that can catapult their current company to the next level. And then what do you have? You have... When I call storm chasers, these are buyers who are industry agnostic, even a specific, and they chase EBITDA. So once you know who your buyers are going to be, I would say it's going to be the last three if you're selling a $10 million company. Did you need to know, well, where do my numbers need to land? If I'm trying to sell for $10 million, where's my revenues, my cogs, my operating expenses, bottom line, my EBITDA? Your EBITDA needs to be at least $2 million if you're trying to get you know, a $10 million purchase price. Now, it can maybe be a million. If you have synergies, if you have proprietary assets, the buyers are willing to pay top dollar for. Most Can you give an example of a proprietary asset? Absolutely. Let me give you an example of a case. Let me tell you a case study. So we had a business that we were selling. It was in the energy industry. It was an oil manufacturing company. And it had a couple of patents. So one of their synergies... Now, they operate in all six P's except for patrons. Patrons is the, the fifth P. So patrons is your customer base. You want customer diversification, not customer concentration. They had 65% of the revenue tied up in BP. We bought 350 buyers. We bought letters of intent. But they all had callbacks. They all had language in there to mitigate the buyer's risk. And if they lose BP, because if you lose British Petroleum, you're losing 65% of your revenue. You're practically right. out of business now. Right. And so one partner was 80. The other one was in his early 60s. And the 80-year-old was like, I'm not taking that deal. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I go, okay, okay. He's like, find me the right buyer. And I said, I've been through 350 buyers. <laughs> so I found him a strategic that has some more products and services, but not a competitor. And this competitor had been trying to get in the in BP's drawers for two decades. I could never get in. But the purchase of this business would open up the door to BP so they can get their products and services in, catapulting them to the next level. So the buyer said, look, I'm going to outbid everybody. Now, I'm not telling everybody's bids. That's unethical. 
but he he bid 165% more or 70% of the company keeping the younger partner on because he wanted to buy that synergy. So synergies are contracts, you know, trying to get into a big company like British Petroleum. Their databases, like Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money, but they had a billion users. Their celebrity endorsements. We have a client that has their products with Oprah. Well, so she just will pay a lot of money for that because everybody wants to get their, their products in front of the, the queen yeah. <laughs> of everything. Oprah's the queen. So those are, you know, patents, trademarks. Those are all synergies that will help catapult businesses to the next level. Got it. So those are strategic. So then you got to look at your numbers and say, okay, where's my numbers need to land? And then what are the synergies? What are the proprietary assets that you have to build in order to get top dollar for your business? Because the way you get top dollar is building these proprietary assets that other buyers want. They can't get because of access. They can't get a maybe barrier to entry, whatever the reason might be. They'll pay more for your company. Can't create an bidding war. That's how you maximize value. And those synergies are the six Ps. They're the infrastructure of your business. The infrastructure of your business. So let's go over those real quick. And then uh, I want to talk about uh, how to buy businesses and uh, make your company more valuable through sure. purchasing other businesses. So real quick, through the six Ps. You have to have a solid foundation. I mean, if you live in a house... You have to have a solid foundation. Hopefully you have a good contractor that built a solid foundation because if you don't have that, I mean, look at all the houses in in Florida and Louisiana that are sinking, 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 you know, because it's below sea level. So your business is going to continue to sink if you don't build this infrastructure. And most business owners operate out of two or three of the six Bs. Very few operate on all six Bs. So what are those? Number one is people. And so a lot of entre- a lot of businesses are not sellable, Travis, because the business is a thousand percent dependent upon that owner. You take that owner out of the business, what do you have? Yeah. Nothing. Perfect example, a dentist that wanted to sell his dental practice, been in business 50 years, one dentist, him, three dental hygienists, his daughters. And he asked oh, me, man. can you sell the business? And I said, yes, but I can't maximize value. And there's going to be language to mitigate their losses and they're going to require you and your daughters to stay on for two to three years. He said, well, honey, we're not staying. I said, well, honey, you're not selling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you don't build a business, you build people, people build the business. You need the right people in the right seats and you need to ask a who question, who handles marketing, legal, accounting, manufacturing, distribution, quality control, human resources. And the clue, Travis, is you should never be next to the who because we're trying to build this business to run without you. Otherwise, you're selling a percentage of your company, not 100%, because they have to keep you. Um, and then you got product. Product is your industry or service. You know, and you ask yourself, is your product your industry or service on the way up? Do you have an Amazon and you're in your prime? Because that's when you sell. Or do you have a blockbuster and you're about to go out of business? And then how many congruent revenue streams do you have? The restaurant industry died during a pandemic because that's one way they get paid. You know, and that's when you come in and dine. Where's their e-commerce yeah. business? Where's their specialty products? that are gourmet, you know, food stores. Where's their cooking classes? Everywhere, yeah. there's so many ways for restaurants to make more money and to have yeah. revenue streams. And then you get into processes. Most business owners do not have good, really good documented processes. Yeah. And you got to document those. I mean, you got to create your processes around the customer experience, not around the owner's agenda. Look at doctor's offices. Mm, their wait, wait, wait. I, can't, I, can't, I can't let you gloss over that one. Say that one more time. 
you got to design. You got to, and I speak so fast, so thanks for slowing, slowing my roll here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, was a, that was a really important thing that you just said. So you have to design your processes around the customer experience. Not around not the, owner's, the owner's agenda. Agenda, yeah. If you look at doctor's offices, what are their hours? <laughs> Monday through Monday, usually Monday through Wednesday, 9.30 to 4, maybe Thursdays a half a day, Friday to close or a half a day. You know, if you've ever watched, have you ever watched a movie called The Founder based upon a McDonald's story? I actually know I haven't. I haven't seen it. I, I highly suggest everybody watch that movie. The McDonald brothers started McDonald's back in the 1940s and Ray Kroc took it over. But back then they said, we want to start a fast food restaurant. We want a fast, we need a fast food process, fast food systems. We're going to design it around the customer experience. And then they asked for punch, what do you want? They want great tasting food that's hot fast 30 seconds or less that is the reason that you can eat at a mcdonald's anywhere in the world and get the same process i get the same service plus because they designed that back in the 1940s and then they can fire somebody on the drive-up one not have somebody hired within 30 minutes so my husband and i own medical clinics we asked our clients what do you want they said flex hours we're open three days a week till 7 30 find another medical clinic that's open at 7 30 in the evening We uh, close a half-day Friday, half-day Friday, in which to give our staff a break, but we'll open until two on Saturdays. Mm. And so you have to design your processes around your customer experience. So many companies don't even think about the customer experience, and that's why they're losing market share. Whoever creates wow experiences and whoever's really easy to do business with is going to be the company that's winning. Amazon wins because it's so easy to buy practically anything from them. Show me a doctor who will actually just show up to the appointment on time and I'll switch to them right now. <laughs> and that was another That's the only thing. thing I want. And that was another thing. They want flex hours and they said, we don't want to wait an hour. We want like quick wait time. And so we said, okay, we're going to design these processes and get our clients in no later than 10 minutes of the appointment, five to 10 minutes. There you and, go. So Yeah. And then they say, we want friendly staff because how many times have you walked into the doctor's office and they're so rude? And the there's staff what? rude. I mean, oh, right. Oh, office, yeah, totally. Doctor's office. And the staff is completely freaking right. rude. Like, they hate their job, you know? And they say, we want friendly service. We want friendly staff. Yeah. So that's what we do on our medical clinics. And you got to make sure you have these processes documented, not just on paper, but documented online as well. And you have to tweak them as you go. And then one of the big things is make sure you have those SOP checklists per department, because if you have to replace, let's say you have to replace an uh, administrative assistant, you want the, uh, the SOPs right there so they know where to start. Mm-hmm. And then you got to make sure you have employment agreements with non-competes, especially for your upper management and employee handbooks. So that's processes. It is the most under, it's, it's the key that gets the most, the least amount of attention when it should get the most attention. Yeah. People processes, people processes. And then the four P is proprietary. Now, proprietary is what we talked about a few minutes ago. It's what can take you from a four to five to an eight to 10 multiple. So proprietary assets are your number one value driver. This will drive more money into your company than anything else. And number one is branding. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your company for, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumer. Nobody's buying Blockbuster. Right. But guess what they are buying? Netflix. Number one brand in the world is, you know, the most valuable brand in the world. Apple. Apple. I think it's $289 billion. Yeah. And that's what assets cash, that's what our assets cash, cash flow inventory, you know, so build your brand. 
This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is, uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Now, here's a big mistake that business owners make. They think of a name. All those entrepreneurs have owned so many names, domains on GoDaddy, right? I think yeah. I have like 150. <laughs> <laughs> the other day, she has 500. And so very important that you can't just go to GoDaddy and then go to your state. You can't just go to Nevada and get registered in Nevada. You need to check the federal database to make sure that name's available because you can be spending all this money, energy, and effort into building your brand. And guess what? You receive Somebody a- else has a trademark on your website name. And you receive a, desist, a cease and desist letter because they're using that company name. And you got two choices here. You let it go and start all over again, or you spend a lot of money and hire an attorney and bite it. Yeah. So if you have a slogan, a logo, a company name, anything that's unique to you, your podcast even, make sure you put a TM behind that showing that you have been using that. That's been in use. And get a federal trademark. I mean, I federal trademark exit rich mm. podcast. So very important because this could destroy your business. Same thing with products. You know, I've got companies that have lots of different products exclusive in different retail chains, and each product has a federal trademark. If you're going to do business around the world, get a global trademark. Patents are important. If you've ever watched Search Tank, do you have a patent opinion on that? Do you have a utility patent? So you got to get patents. And then contracts are huge. Vendor contracts, manufacturing contracts, distribution contracts, franchisor with franchisees, client contracts, especially if you're on, if you have a reoccurring revenue model. Buyers love two big things when they buy a business. They love a SaaS component in your company, and that could just be proprietary software. And they love the fact that you have a subscription model. So you have a revenue, re- reoccurring revenue coming in month over month over month over month. 
Now, the biggest mistake business owners make is they don't have a contract in there that says this contract is transferable upon the new entity. And 98% of all sales are asset sales. Mm. So if 98% of sales are asset sales and the buyer refuses to do a stock sale, you have to go to all your clients and ask for what's called a a consent to transfer. We have a media company that's got 2,000 clients. Are you going to go to all 2,000 clients on a reoccurring? Yes. And not only that, but guess what? Now they know you're for sale. Yeah, right. You just really let the cat out of the bag. So you got to get that transferability clause. Databases are huge. We already, already talked about Facebook, Oprah, celebrity endorsements. Here's another big thing that people don't think about. Digital real estate. Digital real estate. You get Glenn Beck, um, Kid Craddock Show, any famous radio personality to endorse your product, your company. That's huge for a couple of reasons. Number one, they can only endorse one skincare at a time or one diet company at a time or one real estate company at a time. And you own that space. So if you have a contract with that radio personality, nobody can puff you off of that space. And it's hard to get in. That's worth a lot of money. And even if, let's say you sell products on Amazon, you're on the first page in your product category. If you're on the first, if you sell sheets and you're number one on Wayfair or Etsy. I mean, this is digital placement that strategics will pay a lot of money for and content. So always hold your proprietary assets in a simple corporation. You don't want to hold your patents and your trademarks and all of your stuff in the corporation that you do business with, because if you get sued, then they can very easily obtain your IP and then you're you're in big trouble. Same thing if you have, if you hire 1099, independent contractor, somebody from Odesk, Elance, Fiverr, make sure they sign the contract that says, you own the content, not them. There are the courtrooms are full right now with content dispute lawsuits because the owner never got a contract signed and the independent contractor in turn says, wait a minute, I created that video. I made that video get 270,000 views on YouTube. I created that that press release or that blog with that huge attraction, attention. So you always, these are things to protect yourself. The fifth P is patrons. This is your customer base. 80%. So the typical rule is 80% revenue comes from 20% of clients. That's customer concentration. If you lose 10% of that 20%, you're practically out of business. And if you've been in business, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, your customers are probably aging out. So the name of the game is innovation and marketing. You always have to, I call it aim, always innovate and market. And then the, the last P is profits. I always say, Travis, that lack of profits is not your problem. It's the symptom of the other five Ps. The symptom of not having the right people in the right place. Think of it, about it. If the entrepreneur has their finger in every pie and they're doing everything themselves, they're not going to be near as profitable as if they had a well-oiled machine with people with the right people in the right seats running the company. Yeah. Same thing with processes. If they're designed without the customer experience and you're pissing more people off than, than you're making happy, you're going to lose market share, you're going to lose profits. So lack of profits is never, ever your problem. It's a symptom of not running on the other five people's. Love it, Michelle. I mean, we could cut the episode off right there and it'd be super valuable for everybody. But I do want to talk a little bit about, first off, just kind of get your thoughts on the current state of the economy. When it comes to being a business owner, if maybe you've been thinking about selling, is now a good time? Is it any times a good time? Is it Get yourself, get your house in order, get get ready for something. Like what what, what are your thoughts on what's happening right now so it really from a business owner standpoint? It really depends. And that's a good question. It really depends upon the business and it depends upon their EBITDA. 
If you have an EBIT of over a million dollars, million, two million, three million, four million, five million, there will always be buyers mm. for those businesses because they're not dependent upon the financial resources. You know, a lot of buyers are saying, oh my gosh, I can't afford to buy a business right now because it costs me so much more money. We are in due diligence on a $55 million company right now. And the buyer says, every day it takes to finish this list of due diligence, you're costing me money because yeah. the interest rates have went up so much. But when you have that sweet spot of over $9 in EBITDA, again, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, that's when you have more buyers because there are more buyers for great businesses and there are great businesses to buy. And private equity firms, they have funds that they have to deploy. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's nothing for a private equity group to have a billion-dollar fund that they have to spend. And so for those businesses... You know, the best time is when your business is in its prime and your business is doing great. For the smaller businesses, it's going to be much tougher because there's not as many buyers. They don't have disposable income. They have to go to SBA or get lending. And the interest rates are not as favorable, plus they're not fixed. So it's going to be much harder from a smaller standpoint, um, you know, trying to sell your company. I always tell business owners, you know, get ready for the recession. We know there's going to be one coming. You buckle down. Kind of like what I told everybody in the pandemic. Go through your business. Identify what's working for you. Identify what's not. Go through your operating expenses. Cut things out. I had so many business owners cut things out. And they're like, oh, my God, I had no idea. I was wasting, <laughs> wasting so much money. Like, you don't need to have a water fountain in your company. You don't need to have paper towels and all a reorder. Marketing, you don't cut marketing. One of the biggest things you never cut is marketing. But you look at all the, uh, the money that you're, like we spend a lot of money on Google. Google Ads is not good for us because it brings us in smaller businesses that don't really fit our criteria for selling. And so you got to really take inventory of all of your expenses and your marketing and see what's working for you. And LinkedIn really works for you. Double down on LinkedIn. Yeah. And cut out the rest. So you're really going to have to weather this storm, just like you weathered this pandemic. And you're going to have to get smart. You might you need more convert revenue streams. Otherwise, you're going to get paid. You need to go through those operating expenses. You need to cut where you can and you know hunker down. For the larger businesses, yes, sell, sell when your business is doing great because you always have buyers. Yeah, and the, I think one thing to, to note there too is that if you if you did, like, I like that line that you said. We'll probably pull that, put it somewhere about there's never a shortage of buyers if you have a great business, essentially. I think that's a really good point to bring up with, especially in state of the economy. It's like, if you have a great business, the people with money are still going to have a bunch of money in a recession, right? Like a private equity fund isn't concerned with a little bit of more inflation. And they're at a position right now where they're getting excited about all the deals and opportunity there's going to be for them to buy up companies for pennies on the dollar. They're not worried about cash flow and bringing in money, they have billions of dollars in their fund that they have to deploy. And it's probably more advantageous for them in a recession because there's a bunch more deals than than there was a year ago. And in a year from now, there'll be a bunch more deals than there was two years prior, right? So even in bad times, the people with the money that are looking to buy a company don't really care about how much money they're spending as long as the company's a good company to buy. Right. 1,000%. What you're going to see the purse strings really tighten up at is, is in first-time buyers. They're going to have a hard time buying businesses you know, because their disposable income, their savings is probably going to dwindle because of inflation. 
Uh, strategists and competitors could possibly have a tough time too, you know, because their business might not be as successful, might not be able to weather this financial storm as much uh, as they thought it would. And so they might not have disposable income to invest in other businesses. We're, we're finding too that a lot of business owners have spent, invested so much money in the inventory because of the problem with supply and demand. And so they've loaded up on inventory and now they're having a hard time getting rid of it. You know, furniture stores specifically, we've got several furniture companies for sale. You know, they buy so much inventory. So furniture manufacturing is not, manufacturers not getting any more inventory in because they bought everything up and are trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. So furniture manufacturing companies might not be getting any orders right now. So you have to look at each industry to really pinpoint what their concerns and issues are going to be going into recession. I mean, there's still, everybody's still feeling the pain from the pandemic. And the supply chain issue, and now inflation. So it just again really goes back to business and who the buyer is. Private equity will always be there, and they will always be buying platforms and add-ons. But the key is to get your bit over a million. Now, if you have an add-on, I do want to say it's the key. Five, sorry, sorry, say that one more time. So you said the key is you're doing over a million. That would be over a million in EBITDA. Over a million in EBITDA, correct. But keep in mind that if, let's say, let's say you have a food manufacturing, we mentioned this example earlier, let's say the food manufacturing company, you're doing a half million dollars. Well, private equity groups will consider you as an add-on. Hmm. You don't have to have over a million dollars in EBITDA to be considered by private equity. Yeah, yeah. Just if it's a platform. Got it. So the platform means they're not in that space. They're not currently not in furniture manufacturing, but they want to get in furniture manufacturing. They won't acquire a furniture manufacturing company unless that's $3 million to $7 million to leave it up. Got it. I've mentioned this at the, at the beginning. I want to make sure that I asked about it before we move on. If you're a business owner and you're looking at potentially scooping up other companies, what are some things that you want to be aware of in terms of like really just structuring the deal? Yeah. You know, because... When I've talked with business owners that have kind of congruent businesses and talked about, you know, merger or acquisition or something like that, it reminds me of people selling their primary residence uh-huh. because they've spent so much time in it. They spent so much time working on it. They spent so much time doing everything. They automatically in their mind overvalue what the company's worth. How do you uh, make smart acquisitions and uh, maybe have some creative deal structures that allow? Are we, are we talking about small businesses, large businesses? Yeah, small businesses. You know, even micro acquisitions to get started. Companies that are you yeah. know that are going to cost you less than a million to acquire, and certainly less than you know three to five million. Well, one of the smartest things to do is to get an advisor on your side. You know. Uh, selling businesses is not like real estate where somebody represents the seller, somebody represents the buyer. But the reason it's important for you to have a good advisor is so that they can evaluate the business and really tell you what it's worth and help you dig through due diligence and dig through the numbers to make sure that numbers are accurate. Because so many deals fall apart because the broker, the seller and the broker inflated the financials and they're not accurate. So I think it's really wise if you've never bought a business before to really get with an advisor to help you, a good advisor, because you know they can go through the financials, they can dig in, they can do an evaluation, they can make sure you're paying a fair price. You know, and if you're trying to buy a business on your own, usually businesses are going to be businesses are going to be listed with brokers or M and A advisors because of confidentiality reasons. If a buyer, if an owner is trying to sell a business on their own, that's a really big, big red flags. Because why didn't they hire an advisor? 
Mm. You know, why are they trying to sell? I mean, one of the most important questions is why are you selling? (laughs) And so it's really important to, to get an advisor and help determine what business you're trying to get in, what industry, how, what do your financials look like? Like we have buyers that come to us that want to buy a business and have no money. Yeah. You know, so buyers, investors really have to take stock of, you know, what are my skills? What am I really good at? What's my core competencies? What's my superpower? What's my passion? What do I like? What interests me? And then what's my financial capability? Yeah. And then really get with an advisor because advisors are going to have the great businesses that are listed. They're going to have the reasons why the owner's selling. They're going to dig into the financials. They're going to do an evaluation, make sure the business is not overpriced. And there are a lot of brokers that overprice things. They ask the business owner, what do you want? The business owner says, I want a million. They put up there for a million and maybe it's worth a quarter of a million. So it's really important to have a good advisor. And really, like I said, take inventory on what is your financial capability. You need to know that before you even start looking at businesses. Because the likelihood of you get a business with no money down is slim to none. Unless you're a true turnaround specialist and you know how to do it. Like I can, I know how to buy businesses with no money down, but it's very, it's a very difficult process. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is you want to be protected, you know, and you want to make sure you're buying a solid business that's running on these six P's. Yeah. Do they have people in place? Is the business dependent upon the owner? What happens when the owner leaves? Are they in a thriving industry? Is there our industry dying and being replaced? Mm-hmm. You know, do they have processes buttoned up? Do they have a protected federal trademark? Am I going to get sued? All these contracts transferable. You know, do they have customer concentration? I lose a client or two. I'm out of business. Yeah. And what's their average profit margin? What should it be in the industry? How do I grow the business? So these are all questions that you need answered, and advisors can help you with that. Also, you never buy a business without training. Making sure the owner is going to train you for a sufficient amount of time. You never buy a business without money. And I've seen it happen time and time again, where a buyer's bought a business without not compete, and then a seller goes into business right across the street six months later. Yeah. You know, so you want to make sure you're protected as well. I mean, sellers have to be protected, but buyers have to be protected. Buyers have to have reps and warranties. Buyers have to make sure there's a non compete. They have to make sure um, that there's training in place. They got to make sure that it's a viable business and everything the owner said is accurate and true. And a lot of times, it's not. But the, the quickest way to grow your company is through acquisitions. It is the quickest way. Yeah. Now this this has been awesome, Michelle. If somebody's if somebody maybe is uh, is out there listening to this and they want to get started, but maybe they maybe they're not a great fit to work with your firm. Maybe they just aren't doing as much revenue, or they don't have a ton of capital in the bank, but they want to get started with some like smaller companies. How would you suggest? How would you suggest they jump into into that world without you know losing all their money? <laughs> Well, like I said, you know, hire an advisor or hire a business broker. If you're looking to buy a quarter of a million dollar pizzeria, hire a business broker. Business brokers specialize on the smaller companies, typically under a million. If you're looking to buy a company over a million, you need an advisor, you need an M&A advisor. Because there's a lot more, you know, peeling back of the onion when you get into the larger businesses that you really have to look at. It's a lot more moving parts than a business that's under a million. And, you know, everybody should start with leading exit rich. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here or do a commercial. That's, right. That's what you're here for, Michelle. Please <laughs> toot, toot your own horn. As much. I do a commercial, but exit rich is not just about selling a business. Exit rich is all about taking what you got, figuring out your, your plan, going through the GPS exit model, and building a sustainable business that you could scale that doesn't depend upon you. So you actually do have a better quality of life. 
it's funny. I mean, we go into business for ourselves, so we have more freedom. So we have financial, you know, so we have financial freedom. So we have a, a better quality of life so we can take off and go on vacation. But most of the business owners I talk to are like, honey, I haven't had a business uh, vacation in nine years and I missed all my kids' games. Well, that's not a better quality of life. So this first half is all about building that better quality of life, sustainable, scalable business. And the second half is about selling it. You know, so I would recommend anybody who wants to buy a business, start a business, owns a business to, to pick up Exit Rich, even a management team, because it really has all the components to building a more profitable business that can run without you instead of, you know, most entrepreneurs go out there and create a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. And so we also have a plan, a program called Road to Exit Rich. And so many business owners just, you know, they don't have all the ducks in the row. They don't have a management team. They don't have the right people in the right seat. You know, maybe their processes are not buttoned up. So we have a Road to Exit Rich program, which really we take our clients through the GPS exit model to help them get clear. You know, it's clarity is everything. Yeah. Help them get crystal clear on what they want, what they're trying to achieve. And then we go through the bottlenecks. And then we go through the six Ps. And we do evaluation at the beginning, we do evaluation at the end, we have resources to blow up the company. And so if you say, I want to sell in one or two years, but you're not ready, then you might be a good candidate for our Road to Exit Rich program. And then the other thing is the audio book. We have an audio book that just came out that you can also listen to as well. But you can find a, you know, you can find all this at STI, STI, which is Solid Talk Incorporated, STI at 360.com. Our main website is Solid Tucker. Plus, we have a podcast on Exit Rich. Perfect. SilerTucker.com. Go check out some of the stuff that Michelle has to offer, as well as uh, pick up a copy of her book, Exit Rich, the audiobook. Um, either, either or if you have a business and your intention is to one day be out of that business and get paid for it, you got to read Michelle's book just to understand. Even if, you, even if you're not intending on doing that in the next year, it's still something that you got to be working to set up. Or else, by the time you get ready you're going to go get ready to sell and realize that you're not ready to sell and you're going to have to take another two or three years longer than you wanted to to get your business in a position to be able to sell, uh, which has been the story for, of a lot of my friends, even friends that have massive companies that have had to take an additional four years, five years to get back into their business and set it up to be able to sell, even though they're doing nine figures in revenue. So uh, the stuff that Michelle's saying here is, is very, very important, super crucial. So pick up a copy of her book. And if you want to work with her firm and, and uh, you're in a position to do so, uh, please reach out to her there. Michelle, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been awesome. Thank you for having us on. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me back on, I should say. One thing I wanted to mention is all the, the Exit Rich print copies are at 99 Hudson stores. So oh, if you nice. travel, you'll find one at there you go. 99 locations. <laughs> and then the audio book is selling for like between 3 to $4. It's a no-brainer. Perfect. Perfect. Exit rich, guys. Uh, that's not the definition of how you want to be exiting when you're an entrepreneur, then maybe you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. So uh, Michelle, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we'll, we'll chat soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, so that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. 
by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.